Okay, we're still in Corinthians. We've been working our way through the book of First Corinthians for a number of months now, and we're getting towards the end now. We're in chapter 14, so we're nearly there. Uh, today we're looking at the latter half of chapter 14, and we'll open God's Word together in a minute. But I'm going to pray before I say anything else, if that's all right. You'd probably be glad of me praying before I say anything else, because, yeah, let's do that. Lord, I thank you for your word. God, we're so grateful for this book. And we thank you that it's, it's alive. You know, it's not just a bunch of dead words, Lord, that you, that you speak to us through the Bible. And we want to hear from you tonight, Lord. Would you, would you just speak to our hearts, God? We know that, um, in the Old Testament, you spoke through a donkey, Lord. You can speak through anyone. And Lord, I pray tonight that you would even speak through me. God, we want to hear your voice. Soften our hearts, open our ears, Lord, to what you want to say. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, adapting to change is one of those things that people either love or hate. You know, some people love change. They get um, itchy feet and they can't stay in one place or one job or one house for very long and they love change. Other people find change really, really hard. I got married this year, which I wouldn't say has been really, really hard. Woo-hoo. I wouldn't say it's been really hard, but it's definitely been a change, and it's definitely something that there's been a lot of um, elements of getting used to having someone else living in your house uh, and sharing all your food and your space. So there's been a big change, lots to get used to. But I tell you what, I am glad that before we got married, we talked about some of our expectations. We talked about, you know, well, who's going to do the cooking? Who's going to put the bins out? Who's going to do this or that? I'm so glad that we talked about that beforehand because otherwise our house would just be a mess. It would be chaos. There would be, I'm sure, tears and tantrums, and that's just Dave. I mean, the, it, <laughs> he would be doing his thing in his way, and I would be doing my thing in my way, and I'm just so glad that we laid down some kind of ground rules before we really got going with our marriage. Otherwise, our house would be in chaos. Paul, who wrote this book uh, to the church in Corinth, to people called the Corinthians, he was writing to them, and they were a new church. They were a bunch of people who were new to being a Christian. They were just getting used to what Christian life looked like, you know. And because it was new to them, because it was a change, there were some things that they weren't getting right. And so for the whole of the book of Corinthians, Paul has been trying to write to them and just straighten out a few things and show them where they've been going wrong, set them on the straight and narrow. And so that is again what is happening in this passage that we're looking at today. So why don't we turn to it together? It will come up on the screen, but it's uh, chapter 14 of First Corinthians. And we're going to look from verses 26 through to 40. Okay. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, the first speaker should stop 
For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Women should remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it's disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Oops. <laughs> or did the word of God, or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Okay, let's take a look then. I said... The church was in a bit of a mess. They were getting a few things wrong. Let's have a look at exactly what was going on in that church in Corinth. What was it that they were getting up to that Paul wasn't really um, best pleased about? They, those new Christians, they had grown up in a culture where partying and orgies uh, were the order of the day. And, uh, you know, that was one of the things that they were finding hard to let go of, that lifestyle. And so within the church... There was a whole heap of sexual sin. There was promiscuity, people sleeping with one another within the church. Communion, which we just celebrated together, the Lord's Supper, for them it included a whole meal. How nice. It included a whole meal, but it had turned into basically a complete disorderly bun fight. You know, it was first come, first served. And typically the poor who had less to bring, you know, they didn't get so much to eat. And the rich people hogged all the food, stuffed their faces, got drunk and were rolling around on the floor. During the worship times, there was disruptive behavior. People were speaking out in tongues without waiting for an interpretation. People were shouting out and competing to get their prophetic word heard. It was messy, it was loud, it was chaotic. And in particular, the women were getting really excited about the fact that all of a sudden, being a Christian meant they had this new freedom. You know, Jewish women in the synagogues, they weren't allowed to worship with the men. They were kept separate. And all of a sudden... Knowing Jesus, following Jesus, gave them this freedom that they were allowed to be in worship. But apparently, you know what women are like. They have to have a little chat from time to time, don't they? And it seems that within the church, they were commenting on what was going on. Some of them were shouting out. Some scholars even believe that they were choosing to pick fights with their husbands in church, you know, to air their dirty laundry, to have a domestic in church. I mean, how awkward would that have been? So, you can see, it was all a bit wild at the church in Corinth. It was all a bit messy. Why do we need to know this? Why do we need to understand what was happening? It's so important. We need to understand what's going on so that we understand what the Bible is saying to us today. If we take one verse on its own, without understanding how it fits with the chapter before or the chapter after. If we take that one verse and we don't understand what it's about or who it was written to, it can be so dangerous. Because if we take that verse, you thought I didn't notice, but I did. When we take that verse about women should remain silent in churches, if that's the only verse in the entire Bible I was to read, then I'd be in trouble right now. 
I would be in trouble. It's so important that we understand context. So let me say this just quickly. We're not going to look in any depth particularly about this. I want you to know this passage is not about gender. You know, this is not an argument about why women should not be in leadership in the church, okay? Although some people would use it as an argument for that. It's not what it was written for. It's not about that. And Paul, who wrote it, he is not a woman hater. He isn't. Earlier in the same letter, he spoke about the women that pray, the women that prophesy out loud in church. He spoke about them. In his other letters, he talks about ladies who have significant leadership roles within the church. So Paul is not a woman hater in any way. And I would absolutely love to talk about this all night, but I can't. Chuck did a brilliant job of talking about it about a year ago. So if you want to listen to some really good teaching about women in leadership that looks at these difficult passages, I suggest go onto our website and find them. There's two talks that Chuck did, and they're absolutely brilliant, and we'll explain that a bit more. But this passage, this is not about gender. This is about order. It's about what should worship services look like? What should church look like? You know, how should we be behaving when we're in God's church, in God's house? Okay? So, let's look at some of Paul's house rules. All right. Um, I love reality TV. I'm sure some of you know that about me. I seem to use illustrations from reality TV all the time. I love this time of year. It's so good for reality TV because you've got X Factor, um, the dancing one, um, the celebrities in the jungle. There's so much. This is a brilliant time of year for reality TV. But come dine with me. That's been around for ages, hasn't it? I love come dine with me. Anyone else a fan? Mm, yeah, I know it's trashy, but it's good, isn't it? So the, the, the basic premise of the show is five strangers get together, have dinner together in somebody's house. You critique their dinner, you score them, and the next night you all go to the next person's house and they cook and so on. And by the end of the week, you've all been to each other's house and somebody wins. Anyway, there's one episode that I will always remember of Come Dine With Me. Maybe you've seen it where... The lovely hostess lady, she brings out the dessert. So far, they've had a very pleasant meal together. But during the dessert, she, she brings the plates in. And round her neck, she is carrying a snake. And you can see the other, ga- other, other guests kind of gasping like, oh my goodness, you don't do this at a dinner party. She's, she's brought a snake into the room. And she says, oh yeah, this is fluffy. I've had him for years. He's lovely. And she puts him on the table. She puts the snake on the table. So they're all kind of just looking a bit like they don't know what to do with themselves as the snake weaves in and out the wine glasses and stuff. And then the worst possible thing that could have happened, happened. The snake did a poo on the table. (laughs) The snake did a poo on the table. Oh, my word. And so they jumped up in horror. You know, they were like, oh, my gosh, I can't finish my dessert now. This is disgusting. This isn't This isn't right. This shouldn't happen at a dinner party. And the party descended into chaos because they had this nasty surprise. Paul says in verse 33, God is not a God of disorder, but he is a God of peace. So house rule number one, order. 
God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. Paul wants to bring some shape, you know, some tidiness and some order to the house, to the church, because there's a safety within that, isn't it? You know, safety comes when there's order. You think about your house, if it's a mess, there's stuff everywhere, there's trip hazards, you know. Um, if you haven't washed your dishes and they're piling up, that becomes a health and safety issue. You know, environmental health will be on at you for, you know, what on earth are you doing with your house? You know, safety comes when there's order. And we wouldn't invite anyone into our home if we didn't think it was safe for them, would we? We wouldn't do that. And when we invite our friends to church, which we're going to do at Christmas and we're going to continue to do as our New Year's resolution, aren't we? As we invite people to church, into the house of God, we want to invite them into a place where it is safe, you know? where we don't have to worry about there being unexpected, nasty surprises. You know, we don't want to be ashamed of the state of our house. You know, when we bring our friends, we know that there's probably not going to be any snakes, right? But, you know, we don't want to be thinking, like, is this a safe day for me to bring my pal to church? Will this be the day when they make us dance in our underwear like David did? You know, or will this be the day where I'm forced to do something really weird like eat candles or something like that. You know, we don't want to feel that way. We want to know. We don't want, we're not going to be embarrassed about the state of our house when we invite our friends in because there is order. It's welcoming and it is safe. A place where we can know the God of peace. You know, and that's why actually often at the beginning of our services we will take time to say, you know, hello, this is what we're going to do tonight. This is what you can expect, you know, and mostly that's a similar pattern from week to week because we don't want to be a church that springs surprises on people. God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. And so there should be order within the church. That doesn't mean that we're killjoys. That doesn't mean that we're boring. That doesn't mean that we don't know how to have fun or how to be spontaneous. You know, when you think about a board game, you get the most enjoyment out of a board game when you play by the rules. I don't want to hear the person that's going to shout out, no, cheating is fun. No, you have the most enjoyment when you play a board game and you stick to the rules, don't you? You play it as it was designed to be played. You enjoy it in the way it was meant to be enjoyed with those rules, with those orders, those instructions. And so Paul is not saying spontaneity is wrong. Paul is not saying that, you know, moving with the Holy Spirit, seeing what God's doing and following it, that that's wrong. He's not saying that. He's not saying, pastors, worship leaders, plan your services and your set lists and don't you dare deviate from them. There should be no spontaneity in that. No, 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 to it, please. Actually, he's not saying that at all. If you look, there's an expectation from Paul that although there's order, spiritual gifts will be used. They will be exercised. You know, he says, when you share a tongue, when you share a hymn, you know, he says in verse 40, be eager to prophesy. So actually Paul is saying, go for it. Do the stuff. Come on, do it. But don't shout out. You know, don't shout on top of each other. Stop boasting that you can speak in tongues. Don't be disruptive. Paul went to great lengths in chapter 13 to talk about love and to talk about how spiritual gifts, when they're used without love, they're just empty. They're meaningless. They're just noise. Do things properly and do things with love. And as I think about that, I just think, I love how God is a God of order. I love how God can bring chaos 
to order. He can bring the calm. He can bring peace into the storm. That is the kind of God he is. You know, the church is a place of order because God is a God of order. You think about creation when there was nothing. There was nothing. It said the world was formless, just deep waters. And God, out of the nothing, out of the chaos of deep waters, he created something. He created order. He created the earth. When the disciples were in a boat and they were afraid and it was chaotic and scary, one word from Jesus, he spoke peace into the chaos. I love that about God. It's just good to be reminded of that, I think. Some of us, we feel like our lives are a bit chaotic, like there's no order. Maybe we live in despair. But we know the Prince of Peace. We know the one who can bring peace into that. Okay, so there is order in the house of God. Number two, participation. If you go to someone's house, okay, if you get invited around for dinner or for coffee or something, uh, it's unusual that you would turn up empty-handed. This morning, I embarrassed Mark Cashman because he came to our house this week and he didn't bring anything. And I didn't want to make a big deal of it, but it's true, guys, it's true. But I've forgiven him and we're friends and it's, it's fine. But generally speaking, you know, the polite people amongst us, we don't turn up empty-handed at people's houses, right? We bring something. And it's the same with church. Verse 26. When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Paul's model for church is that we are participants, not passengers. You know, we're contributors, we're not consumers, just coming along for the ride, seeing what we can get from it. You know, we live in a world where there's entertainment at our fingertips 24-7, don't we? You know, smartphones and um, tablets and laptops and even TVs these days, you know, you can download stuff instantly to watch. We, we're used to being entertained, aren't we? But that was never the blueprint for church. You know, it might be entertaining because we like to have fun, but that's not what we're aiming for. That's not the prime purpose. Church was never meant to be a kind of come in, kick back and enjoy, just relax experience. Actually, church is a muck in, get your hands dirty, bring your offering to the table kind of community. There's an expectation from Paul that yes, there's order, but yes, there's participation. You can all take part. This platform, you know, this is not sacred, untouchable ground. This microphone is not reserved only for me or for people in leadership. You all have something to bring. You know, we talked a few weeks ago about spiritual gifts and just going deeper with God in terms of using the spiritual gifts and exploring that with him. And this, again, is Paul talking about the same stuff. We want to see more of this. I would just love it if our church looked a bit like this, what Paul was saying. You know, he says, you know, some of you bring a hymn, some of you bring a, a word of instruction, you know, maybe a bit of teaching. Some of you bring a revelation, what you think God is saying. Some of you will bring a tongue and an interpretation. You have total permission as a church here to be like that, you know? I would love it if our worship wasn't just led from this corner. I would love it if our worship was led from here. You know, in those moments where the worship leader stops or they step back from the microphone, it's not because they don't know what to do or they've forgotten the words, you know. Actually, in those moments, they're trying to encourage us. Over to you. Do you want to sing something? Do you want to bring something? You know, maybe that's like a song that we all know and we can all join in on. 
But even better, and this is probably what was happening in Corinth, a new song, just a fresh new song that is rising up in us as we worship, a spontaneous song. I would love that to be bursting out all across this congregation. How fantastic would that be? We're leading each other in worship. You have permission to do that. You have permission to do that. You know, Paul says, guys, go for it, do it, but do it in a fitting way. And so in a fitting way here in this context, it is those moments, like I said, when you can see that the worship leader maybe has stepped back, that would be a time to go for it. Or when the service leader says, we're just going to wait on God, we'll see if he's got anything that he wants to say. If anyone's got a word, please share it. That's your moment. Or if you feel like God gives you something to say at another point in time in the service, just come and grab me or the service leader and tell us and we'll figure out what to do with that but you need to know that you have complete permission to do this stuff you've got a green light so church go for it go for it that is the model of church that Paul presents you know that we all take part in the service and I would just love for that to be normal for us you know for it to not be a big deal that someone's brought a prophetic word for it not to be a big deal that someone's just sung a spontaneous song that it would just be normal and that we'd be exploring that together. I know that God is asking us to pursue him in terms of spiritual gifts. We've spoken about that before, and I know that that is, that is true, that God is on our case for that. And, you know, the enemy would totally love to just trip us up in this. He would love us to believe the lies that he whispers. You know, you couldn't do that. If you sang, that would not be a blessing to anyone. You know, and if you shared something, well, it's probably not God. It's just, it's just your imagination. You're making things up. You can't hear God. You're not holy enough. You know, the enemy would love us to believe those lies. What if I get it wrong? What if I get it wrong? Think about it like this. What if I get it right? You know, what if I'm brave enough to start a song and suddenly it unleashes something beautiful and powerful across the whole church and all of a sudden the worship just takes off? What if that happened and God's spirit just fell? Or what if, you know, I share a prophetic word and it means something so deeply to one person that it opens up the door to them to receive real healing from God? What if I get it right? It's got to be worth the risk. I know I can be guilty of coming to church and thinking, well, someone else will do this stuff. Someone else will pray out. Someone else will bring a song or a word. But actually, I want us to all be coming to church and saying, Lord, what do you want me to bring? What do you want me to bring? Do we come to church to worship? Or do we come worshipping to church? There's a challenge for us. Come ready. Come ready. Okay. House rule number three, that the house should be a house of encouragement. Paul says when we use the spiritual gifts in the right way, what happens? We're built up. The church is built up. We're encouraged. You know, we're strengthened as a family. He says that in verse 26, we do these things so that the church would be built up. Verse 31, you know, he says you prophesy so that everyone would be instructed and encouraged. That's what happens. You know, when someone shares, like, I think God's saying this, or God, um, you know, gives you a word for someone and it's right. Uh, you know, whenever there's an interpretation of a tongue, all that happens is people go, whoa, God's cool. 
wow, God knows me. God spoke that word just for me. God understands my situation. Oh my goodness, God loves me. And all of those things are good things, right? They encourage us. Isn't God good? Isn't God amazing? Isn't God alive and speaking to me? That is so fantastic. And so when we exercise the spiritual gifts, the church is built up and we are encouraged. We are encouraged by who God is. We only grow when we are given opportunity and encouragement, right? We only grow when we're given opportunity and then encouragement. My dad tells this story of a time when he was 11 and he was in his woodwork class. I think I've shared this story before. And he was working on making a joint for two pieces of wood. And he knew that he wasn't very good at this. He knew that this wasn't his strength, but he tried really hard. And he felt happy enough with his work that he took it to the teacher and said, there you go, sir. And the teacher took his woodwork and he looked at it for a while. And then he started to cry. And he said, my wood, what have you done to my wood? And he banned my dad from taking woodwork class. That was it. That was it. He wasn't allowed to learn anymore. You know, he, he threw in the towel that day. He said, well, I'm not even going to fight that decision with the school. You know, he had no incentive to try to keep going. He had no encouragement from his teachers whatsoever. And that was the end of my dad's DIY days. And I can assure you, they never, you know, they never peaked. It never got any better. He's not good at DIY. He didn't have the opportunity to flourish. He didn't have any encouragement to grow. We only grow when we're given opportunity and we're given encouragement. So we have here in the church, as I've just said, the opportunity to use spiritual gifts. We have the opportunity. And as we make the most of those opportunities, then what comes, as we've said, is the encouragement. We're encouraged by God. And so what should flow, what should follow from the opportunity and encouragement should be growth, that our church would grow. We've said this before, but I'm going to say it again because it's true, that as the church is built up and excited about God, it's not just so that we can stay in this room and be excited about who God is. It's so we can go. It's so we can go. The church should be the place where we get so encouraged about who God is, what he's done, what he's able to do, what he will do, that that excitement overspills into every area of our lives. You know, that other people see it. Everything that is done in here is done so that we can go out there. I want to challenge us. Can we make this the most encouraging place to be? Not just because we're nice to each other, which hopefully we are, but can we make this the most encouraging place you'd ever want to be? Because this is a place where we go for it with God. And God encourages us and God builds us up. Wouldn't that be a fantastic thing if we were so excited and built up that we could go out there being passionate followers of Jesus so much that we change the reputation of Christians, you know, that we wouldn't be known for what we don't like and what we disapprove of, but we'd be known as people who are passionate and we'd be known for what we love and what we celebrate and who we love, you know, that we'd be known for what we stand for rather than what we stand against. I know that our church exists to bless this community. That's our heart. But we also recognize that lots of you don't live in this 
community. Lots of you don't live in these streets, you know. And actually, we want the church to be a place where you come, you do get built up, you do get encouraged in God, and you can take God to where you are. You can take God to your community in bankery or cults or wherever it is you live. You can take him to your school, uh, to your workplace. You know, that the church is a place that encourages you and equips you and empowers you to do that. You know, that you could think, well, actually, I could give out flyers for the Christmas services and hot chocolates to the people in my street. Or actually, I could run an alpha course in my house because, you know, all the talks are online, so I don't have to do the talks. It'd be quite easy to get people around my house to do that. You know, there's a, there's a girl, a young person in, in our church who... Um, she went to a school where the SU had been shut down and she was like, no way, this cannot happen. This cannot happen. So she gathered a couple of her Christian friends and she was like, we need to make this happen in school. And so they started a little SU, but they didn't want to have a little SU that was just about the Christians having a nice time. So she worked really hard going around the school, inviting other people to come. And that SU is now full of people, actually, who aren't Christians yet. How exciting is that? And on top of that, some of the people who they've invited to that group are actually Muslim, and they keep coming back because they want to find out more about Jesus. How exciting is that? We want to be a community of people who are built up here, encouraged, equipped, and just would go and take Jesus to wherever it is that we are. So the challenge for us is to be asking God, where is that for me? Where is it you want me to go? Some of us know exactly where that is. Some of us have maybe have been ignoring the nudges that God has been giving to us. And we want to maybe pray for you later on that you could receive boldness to go where he's calling you to go. But the church, the house of God is meant to be a place of encouragement. Okay, last one. House rule number four, we are attentive people. So I want to just spend a little bit of time looking at prophecy. What is prophecy? The whole of this passage, actually, chapter 14, um, it talks about the prophetic and it talks about tongues. And last week we looked at tongues. Chuck did a great talk on that. You can see it, I can hear it online if you want to catch up on what that was about, the teaching about what tongues is. So actually I want to spend a little bit of time just looking at what is prophecy. Why do we do that? You know, prophecy, listening, listening to the Father's voice, hearing God's heart for other people. Why would we want to do that? You might ask yourself, why would you want to do that? Well, I think, why not? If I believe that God speaks, and I believe that God has given me the ability to hear his voice, then, goodness me, why wouldn't I want to do that? That's cool, I can hear God's voice. I want to do it. Paul tells us we should do it. Paul says, eagerly desire prophecy. That's enough for me. I want to do it because it's in the Bible, and I think it's cool. We believe that God speaks. You know, he speaks in his word, and he speaks by his spirit. Throughout scripture, God has used other people to communicate what he wants to say. You know, there's a whole chunk of the Old Testament that is just written by prophets, written by the people that God was using as a mouthpiece. And Paul is encouraging us to continue in moving in the prophetic. So that's exciting. What do I mean when I say listening to God? Okay, you might be sat there just thinking, well, that just sounds a bit weird and it sounds a bit difficult and just how how exactly do you do that how do you listen to God how is it that you can be attentive to God's voice the thing is that um 
it happens very differently for different people. I don't think that there's a formula for this is what it would look like if you hear God's voice. It happens differently for different people. But I do know that Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And if we're followers of Jesus, the good shepherd, the closer we get to him, the more we start to hear his voice, the more we start to recognize his voice. So actually, the more we have a go at listening, probably the better we get. But for some people, you know, when they say, Lord... Would you just give me a word, give me a prophetic word? For some people, what happens to them is they just see like a picture, like in their mind's eye, like in their imagination. They see a picture of something. And then they ask, Lord, what what is that? What does that mean? What is it you want me to say about that? And then God starts to unfold the picture. It starts to make sense to people in their heads. For some people, when they hear God, they literally see words like, before their eyeballs kind of thing. They see words. That's how it works for them. For some people, it's like a little thought just lands, like almost fleetingly lands in their head and they think, oh, where did that come from? I wasn't thinking about that. Where's that come from? Lord, is that is that you? For some people, their hearts start to pound and they're like, I know I need to, this must be God because I'm feeling this way and my palms are getting sweaty. You know, this must be a word from God. For other people, that doesn't happen at all. You know, like I said, it's different for everyone. And I don't think there's any formula, but it's about being willing to open our ears and say, Lord, I'd love to hear your voice. What do you want to say? Does God take over your body? Do you become, uh, take over your body and your mouth and turn you into some kind of weirdo where you have to speak in a, a special voice and say, thus saith the Lord? No, I don't, I don't think that's what the Bible says at all. In verse 32, Paul says, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the control of the prophet. In other words, you're in control of what you're doing. You are in control. You don't turn into a frenzied maniac. So don't worry. We're just being us. When we share what we think God is saying, it's normal. It's low key. We're just being us. Remember, God is not a God of disorder, not a God of weirdness. (laughs) He is a God of peace. And so when we think that God has said something to us, what we do with that is that we offer it in a gentle, normal, no special voice kind of way. And we offer it humbly. You know, we say, I might be wrong, but I'm just wondering if God is saying this. You know, it's not God has definitely told me. It's I might be wrong, but I, I think maybe perhaps God is saying this. And we don't predict the future. That's not what prophecy is about. Prophecy is sharing God's heart for someone. I think God just wants to encourage you in this area. I think God might be wanting to say this to you. Earlier in uh, the chapter 14 of Corinthians, Paul had said, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. And so that's our measuring stick, okay? Is what I'm about to say going to strengthen, encourage, and comfort? Because if it's not, then I'm not going to say it. That's what we measure it up against. So we offer it. And then if we're on the receiving end of someone's prophetic word, we weigh it up. That's what scripture tells us to do. Verse 29, weigh it carefully. Because we are human and sometimes we get things wrong. Okay, you know, sometimes we think we've heard God, but actually we've just had too much cheese the night before. Or sometimes it's a bit like Chinese whispers. Maybe God has spoken to us, but we've misinterpreted what God said. And so when we share it, it's not quite what he had intended in the first place. We do make mistakes. 
We do make mistakes, and we need to take responsibility for that. That's why we offer things humbly. You know, we don't talk about births, deaths, and marriages. We don't do that because if we are wrong, that can be so damaging for the individual. We don't do that. But we give each other permission to have a go, and if it's wrong, it's wrong. We'll weigh it all up, but we'd far rather have a go and find out and never try. Let me just share quickly one little story from from my kind of journey of listening to God. For me, um, when I first began sort of trying to hear God, trying to have prophetic words and stuff, I, I really wanted to do it deep down. But then every time I felt God had given me something, I just chickened out of saying it because fear fear got the better of me. And I'm getting better at that now. I'm learning to just be like, I might be wrong. I'm just going to say it, whatever. Just throw it out there. Because like I said before, I might be right. But there was this one time when a couple of years ago, I was at a meeting. We were, we were praying for the youth of our church here. And so Dave, my husband, he's the youth pastor. But this was before we'd got together. But um, I kind of fancied him a bit at this point in time. And I felt that God had given me a word for him. That, that God says to Dave, I see you like Willy Wonka. And I was like, um, I'm not saying that to him. That is so embarrassing. And, and But then I thought, well, Lord, what is it? What do you mean by that? So I was saying, God, what do you mean? Like, is there something to go with that that I can explain when I say that to him? And I felt like, no, I don't, I don't know anything else. But I thought, well, I'm just going to offer it. So I said to Dave in a slightly kind of embarrassed, cringy way, I was like, I don't really know what this means, but maybe it means something to you. But I don't know, when we're praying for you, I just kept getting this sense that, like, God maybe sees you like Willy Wonka and then I was like and then bless him he his eyes lit up and he said that is so cool do you know earlier this week um someone was telling me that my ministry was like running a sweetie factory that it's that it's like you know you invite people in and you show them around and it's fun and all of that that's what your ministry is a bit like you're in the heart of it with them and he was like thinking, oh, I don't know if I'm doing that properly. I don't know if I'm doing a good job. I'm not sure that I'm really like that at all. And so for me to suddenly say, God sees you like Willy Wonka, he was like, oh, I'm so encouraged. Maybe I am doing my job well. You know, you know, it was so encouraging to him and it was so encouraging to me. I was so glad that I was brave enough to say something that potentially could have made me look really stupid. But it meant something to him. And so we were all encouraged. I have done what I did this morning and said too much and we're running out of time. And so what I'm going to do is scrap the rest of my notes because what I'd love for us to do is to just actually have a go at this. You know, I want this to be the classroom for us uh, where we can have a go at hearing God's voice. So why don't we stand?